This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. All of human unhappiness, Pascal observed, comes from a single thing, which is not knowing how to remain at rest in a chamber. At any rate, this was certainly the source of Ulysses' problems, as Dante reports them to us in Inferno 26. In his descent through the Inferno, in the circle of the false counselors, Dante meets a flame-shrouded Ulysses, a.k.a. Odysseus, the hero of Homer's Odyssey, who tells him and Virgil how he met his end. Dante's rendition of the fabled liar story adds a surprising twist at the end. After he escapes from Circe and makes his way back to Ithaca, Ulysses' love for son, wife, or father could not overcome the fervor that was mine to gain experience of the world and learn about man's vices and his worth. This prompted him to embark on a voyage to the foot of Mount Purgatory, which ended with his ship being sunk by a divinely sent whirlwind. Homer's Odysseus has traditionally been a type of homecoming and rest. For the ancient philosopher Plotinus, he was an image of the soul which escaped its exile among the delights of the eyes, to rest in its true home above. And for the contemporary philosopher Roger Scruton, Odysseus was a type of oikophilia, the love of kith and kin which made him tear himself away from immortal life with a goddess and brave storms and monsters to come home. Dante, by contrast, offers us a Ulysses overcome by wanderlust. He and his companions, now old and slow, sailed across the Mediterranean to the Pillars of Hercules, which were placed by the demigod to warn all men to go no further. Staring out past the limits placed upon human exploration, Ulysses gives a stirring speech to rally his shipmates for one last voyage. To such brief wakefulness of our senses as remains to us, do not deny yourselves the chance to know, following the sun, the world where no one lives. Consider how your souls were sown, You were not made to live like brutes or beasts, but to pursue virtue and knowledge. Ulysses frames this venture beyond the pillars as a glorious quest for virtue and knowledge, for human vices and worth. He is a new Prometheus, defying divine edicts, not for selfish gain, but for the love of that imperishable good, knowledge. On this view, he should rank among the great demystifiers, breaking superstitious taboos to expand the frontiers of thought. There's nothing particularly Faustian, of course, about valorizing the search for truth. Aristotle notes it as a commonplace that all men naturally desire knowledge, a statement Dante himself repeats at the beginning of his Convivio. Nor should we be shocked at the allure of Dante's Ulysses. Like Milton's Satan, few characters from Purgatorio or Paradiso are as memorable or as compelling as Francesca, Brunetto, Latini, or Ulysses. We readers are taken in by their explanations and exculpations. Perhaps Dante himself was too at some level. Nonetheless, despite the superficial appeal of a heroic reading of Ulysses, Dante complicates matters considerably in the Commedia itself by presenting the Greek as a tragic type of the vice of curiosity, which ancient medieval, which ancient and medieval thinkers understood as a disordered appetite for knowledge a desire to know what ought not be known or to know the right things in the wrong way. This is why curiosity proverbially kills the cat. Curiosity produces acts of knowing distorted, not by falsehood, but rather by the love of self, 
even to the contempt of God and neighbor. As Dante depicts it, Ulysses' passion for knowledge looks to be doubly deranged, so encompassing that it both blinds him to the ways he injures others and leaves him indifferent as to its objects. On the first point, Ulysses admits to Dante that his last voyage came at his family's expense, neither my fondness for my son nor pity for my old father with a love I owed Penelope, which would have gladdened her, could restrain his longing to know. Moreover, Ulysses is as happy to know human vices as our worth. Like Adam, he longs for knowledge of evil as well as good. Indeed, Ulysses is haunted by Adam. When he ignores the pillars ne plus ultra and takes his crew five months sailing into the empty northern hemisphere, he comes within sight of land which no mortal flesh had beheld since the creation, Mount Purgatory, at whose summit lies the earthly paradise whence Adam and Eve were driven. If this was not clear enough, Dante links the two figures verbally. In Paradiso 26, Adam tells Dante that his great exile came about not from enjoying the tree, Leño, but from transgressing the sign, Il Seño. Strikingly, Ulysses sought to cross the high open sea with a single ship, Leño, and met his doom after passing the place where Hercules set up, Seño, his warnings. Having eaten, like Adam and Eve, from the tree of knowledge, Ulysses and his companions were preparing to storm Eden and eat from the tree of life as well, then truly to be gods. Ulysses' voyage finds another parallel, not in scripture or the classics, but rather in Dante himself, both as a pilgrim to Mount Purgatory and as a chronicler of that journey. Dante was the first mortal since Ulysses to see the mountain, and the first since Adam to ascend it. For the reader who might miss the connection, Dante, the poet, primes the pump, observing, on his escape from hell onto the shores of Mount Purgatory, now we came to the empty shore, Upon those waters no man ever sailed who then experienced his return. There he, namely Cato, girded me as it pleased another. No one had navigated the waters Dante then beheld, at least not and lived to tell of it. The parallel is clenched with the cinching of Dante's belt, done as it pleased another, the very phrase that accompanied the whirlpool that devoured Ulysses' ship. At the outset of the Paradiso, Dante proposes another parallel between himself and Ulysses, this time not as pilgrim, but rather as poet, leading his readers on a venture into the vasty deep of heaven itself. In one of his rare apostrophes to the reader, Dante figures their relation as a sea expedition in unmistakably Ulyssian accents. Oh, you eager to hear more, who have followed in your little bark my, my ship that singing makes its way. Turn back if you would see your shores again. Do not set forth upon the deep, for losing sight of me, you would be lost. The seas I sail were never sailed before. Minerva fills my sails. Apollo is my guide. Nine muses point me toward the bears. The echoes of Inferno 26 abound. Ulysses' little company, Compagna Picciola, strikes a chord with the little bark, Piccioletta Barca, of Dante's companions. Both men sail in a legno both travel into uncharted waters. Indeed, it is hard not to wonder if this apostrophe does not reflect a certain anxiety on, da on Dante's part about the temerity and possible presumption of his cosmic chronicle. As Borges observed, Dante was Ulysses and in some way had to fear Ulysses' punishment. 
But why was Ulysses drowned within sight of Mount Purgatory shore, whereas Dante was welcomed in? Dante himself had earlier sought a short way to the beautiful mountain, but had been turned back by the three beasts, a panther, a lion, and a she-wolf. Interestingly, he was particularly troubled by the she-wolf, a beast herself of universal appetite, who reappears in Purgatorio 20 as an explicit figure for avarice. Dante, like Ulysses, was undone by deranged desire, but unlike the clever Greek, he was able to learn that the only way to climb that longed-for mountain was to descend into the earth. He learned that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Dante's Ulysses, then, is neither a straightforwardly heroic nor villainous figure, but something more complex. His is the very journey that Dante had embarked on when he lost his way in the gloomy wood, as well as a grand parody of the journey that Dante, in fact, undergoes in the Inferno. In Dante's Ulysses, curiosity takes on all the captivating complexity of a noble but tragically misguided human life. He longed for knowledge, the greatest good offered to us here below, but he wanted it, like Adam, on his own terms, without regard to the family who waited for his return, or for the Lord, at whom all knowledge implicitly aims. He would not heed the divine warning, neither Hercules' pillars, nor Eden's cherubim and flaming sword. And when Dante meets him, he is still, like the rest of the infernal souls, unshakably fixated on the misbegotten loves which led him away from his true end. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Tory Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.